reality TV isn't real. I'll never forget calling you like, are we gonna be okay? We're, we're queer people. And you're like, yeah, it'll be fine. Oh my God, this poor woman has this like very gay husband. Like, should I tell her her husband's gay? I'm like, yeah. so that's Patrick. Yeah, and it was you. <laughs> the ice is already broken. Right, we're like swimming in the Arctic. We're already. swimming in the Arctic. <laughs> they had to leave or we had to leave. Yeah. <laughs> what? One is good, seven's better. Right. Um, but that's how it is with everything in my life. Yes. That's why we're in recovery. It's not just, oh, I drank too much. No, I did everything too much. It wasn't real, and it's not who I am. I was looking for something to fill that void. That void, that hole, right. is filled now with things that are real. Yeah. Welcome to this episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. I'm Patrick Custer, your host, and so glad that you all are here joining with us. We've got three-time Rooted Recovery Stories show alum, Bronwyn Wyndham Burke. Hello there. Welcome. We're just going by Bronwyn Wyndham now. Oh, my bad. Yeah. I'm glad to hear <laughs> the update. Yeah, we, we, we dropped the Burke. <laughs> we are Bronwyn Wyndham. Good for you. Less of a mouthful, still a beautiful name. Thank you. Yes. And your lovely partner, Jen. Hi. Thank you so much for being Jen here. Jen Spinner. You put Jen us together. Spinner. It's a wind spin. <laughs> I love that. Jen win, win, spin. Yeah. I'm so glad y'all are both here today. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about what is new, what's transpired, what's going on in your lives. Um, you live here now. In Nashville. Well, we did. Near in, in Franklin, we followed you out here. <laughs> I'll never forget calling you like, "Are we going to be okay? We're we're queer people." And you're like, "Yeah, it'll be fine." And then all this stuff started to happen. And you're like, "I'm so sorry," but no, we love it. Yeah. We have really just found our home here. I love it, especially right now. The leaves are changing. The kids have friends in school. I mean, it's a it's a good place to be. It's simple and easy. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, there's. There's things just like everywhere, right? Like, you, and it, it all hinges on perspective. And we've, I think, I'm excited. And you and I, you and I have had a lot of conversations about like we, we get, met we online to, at a dog kennel, and now we're yeah. like great friends. And you know yeah. everything, so it's like you, uh huh. This is gonna be the hard part because no one knows. Like we talk all the time. I know. So. And we have so many. <laughs> we have so many inside stories, and one of them we're about to let you in on right now. So when you didn't know where you were gonna move, but you were like, oh. Well, come check things out. You all came down and did a little look see for yeah. at, the, at the at the um wild horse. houses. And oh yeah, yeah. And so oh, there's yeah. so we met up at the wild horse um what when you came down and I think there's a hilarious story there that we Jen I don't know that anybody could tell it better. Well, yeah, so Bronwyn and I, um, we were at the Wild Horse, and I think we were waiting for you, but I had never seen you, I hadn't seen pictures of you, I just had heard of you no, from Bronwyn. I think you were Instagram friends, but I don't think no, you No, like we weren't, not yet. Oh. Um, I remember, because I didn't know what you looked like, uh -huh. or this wouldn't have happened. So, <laughs> while we were waiting, a woman, a really sweet woman, came up to Bronwyn, she had seen the show. Her daughter had also, her young daughter, like 15, had also seen the show. They were fans. She was telling Bronwyn basically this like really heart-tearing story about the challenges that her daughter was going through at school. Bronwyn ended up like sitting at the table with them and I, people were crying. So <laughs> I used that as an opportunity to not be a part of that conversation. I went to the bathroom, and when I came back, all I saw was this woman, her daughter, Bronwyn, and a man, and she had mentioned her husband multiple times. And so I started talking to this man, who was you, um, and I immediately got this pang of guilt, just thinking, oh my gosh, like this poor woman, her daughter is going through social pariah stuff at school and her husband is gay. <laughs> <laughs> and like, what is that gonna be like when he comes out? And so I forgot how it happened, but I think I said to Bronwyn, oh my God, this poor woman has this like very gay husband. Like, should I tell her her husband's gay? I'm like, yeah. So that's Patrick. Yeah, and it was you, which thank God for this woman because that, that would have just probably been a little too much for them to handle, but um, yeah. So now so. we always joke about how my wife How's is doing. How's your wife doing, yeah. yeah. How's your yeah. wife? I, I mean, you guys, what a, it was a cute 
family. You have a very nice daughter and wife. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I wonder how they're doing. Sorry for what she's going through. Yeah. You're oh. out there. Hello. Yeah, I wonder how they're doing. It would be funny Gosh. if they saw this and realized. And reach out. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess in Texas, like that's what happens. You get, you become, you know, you get married, then you're gay, then you stay married. <laughs> like it didn't. That happened in California to me too, by the way. Yeah. That's like well. my story. But yeah. Well, I don't think she wants, this poor woman doesn't want that many similarities. Oh my gosh. Oh, what a great story. So yeah, we find a lot of fun in that. Um, speaking of finding a lot of fun, I want to, I, I want to start off with my, they don't know this. Those of you who are, are returning, uh, viewers, listeners, uh, we're jumping right in with our rapid fire questions. We didn't, I didn't share any of these at the beginning. So, um, let's break the ice. Even though, even though the ice is already broken, right? We're like swimming in the Arctic. We're already. swimming in the Arctic, <laughs> but let's just dive deeper. So here we go. You ready? Jen, what three words would you use to describe Bronwyn on The Real Housewives of the OC? Ooh, horrible. <laughs> uh, no, like really? Yes, or, really. Oh, okay. Yep. So, no, I, oh, this will, this is like relationship limiting. <laughs> Um, okay, just before, based on the show, before what I knew you would, her. Before you before knew, her, knew her, yes. Annoying, dramatic, obnoxious. Oh, Lovely. Um, Bronwyn, who is the messiest person in the Housewives franchise, in your opinion? Oh, oh my, that's like a... Oh, like messy physically or messy? No, like, he means like people. messy. Like, mm, like, oh, they're just a mess. Mm -hmm. Um... Oh, God. I honestly haven't watched it in so long. I, I don't even know who's on them anymore. Um, I, I am Kelly, probably. She's not on it anymore. Oh. I honestly have not watched it in such a long time. I, I, I can't. That's can't, a fair I answer. I'm so sorry. I, I'm, I don't actually know her, and I'm sure she's very nice. I'm just going by political, like. Well, I've heard that views. actually. Yeah, I don't. I've or did heard. Did you? Was that. No, your, that was all real. That's, no, but was that your season? Was she Yeah. On? Okay, That's so why we don't, yeah. maybe she's horrible. No, she is, but she's well, not on I don't anymore. want her to come after me. Oh, so. she will. <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay, well, Kelly, we wish you the best. I'm, um, we have I'm really, sure you're We nice. watch a lot of 90 Day Fiance. Nice. Uh, we don't watch Housewives. We're going to watch this season of Beverly Hills because we're really no, invested. I watch Beverly Hills. Okay, I'm really invested in the Morgan Wade storyline. Okay. I'm not going to lie. So I'm going to watch this season of Beverly Hills, but I haven't watched it in a really long time. It's just not fun for me anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't enjoy it. I really like but Beverly Hills. I, 90 Day Fiance is my jam right now. Nice. And that would, I can answer that. That's Jasmine. I love her. But messy. she's your favorite one. Oh my god, I love messy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a messy answer for you right yeah, there. All right. There. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. This is for both of you. You can answer however you want. What's the weirdest fan interaction that has happened, both either before you got together or um, or at any given point? I mean, I feel like you have a story. No, my the weirdest one was on the phone with you when someone came up to you. And like you're, oh, that, that was, was like so weird. Like Jen, hey, you're probably we had only been dating two months. Yeah, it was really early. The one in Portugal wasn't weird. It was because the show was in England, so that wasn't. No, they're from Dallas. Oh, <laughs> wait, what? I I don't. I mean, I get them at random times. I uh, the best ones, and this is true. The best ones are the recovery ones. People that have gotten sober have someone in their family that is and they say thank you. Those are the best ones and those are the ones I really take the time with. Of course. But like, yeah. It's so weird. The weird with that, that guy on the cruise because he was so not what you would expect to be a housewife fan. Remember on the Disney cruise? Oh yeah. That, no, but he was like a single dad. I think he watched it for his daughter and that was actually really cute. You guys aren't giving me any tea right now. I'm, I'm so, I, think, I thought the one in Portugal was the most random. Okay. Well, so what happened in Portugal? No, we were, it was just these like very intoxicated, very sweet. Um, we were in a tiny little town a at a castle, and literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh -huh. We were in Lisbon, honey. No, we were. We were at, we were at the castle, babe. So we were in Lisbon <laughs> at a drag show. Oh, we're having different memories. I don't know who you're talking oh, about. Oh, I was talking about the one at the castle in that little town. Who knew you at the castle? The ladies from England. The flight attendants. So they were from yeah. Australia, oh. and they didn't know you. Now I... <laughs> what? No. Okay, so let's go with the flight attendants, because okay, it sounds like it's show. more... The drag show one was weird. How did they know us again? We had friends oh in my God, I can't. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
They're fans of Housewives. Um, but they knew someone that knew. And I'm not the sober one. They, they were fans of Housewives. And they... The, Alicia and Dallas. Yeah. Okay, it's all coming back to me. Sorry. Anyway, yeah. Not the Australians, who had no idea who you were. The ones in the castle Yeah, town. I know who you're talking about. You're like... Yeah. Their friend was from Arizona. She knew who you were. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so, and the story goes. Oh. No, they were just <laughs> now like... Now that we've sorted w- Welcome that to, out. like, inside of our brain. This right. is no, how our entire day is. This is how we sit at the kitchen table. I can't imagine, like, poor Sean, who has to be around us, because we we don't make any sense. Well, I think that one of us does. It just uh, takes right. some I do effort make a lot of to sense. get you. Right. No, the, there was like a couple okay. from Dallas. So the flight attendants from Dallas at the drag show with that the, were with so the very drunk. small manager of the club who was like freaking out the whole time. Yes, club. that one. And, and okay, so the story is that we <laughs> Bronwyn was on like a jet lag. Like I, we flew, I, co- we flew coach. Uh-huh. We flew coach, but I so there was um, no sleeping. Right. I lived in Europe and was going back and forth between the U.S. So I think that my body is just adjusted to like I'm just. Oh, I was always jet lagged for so long that I just don't. I can go to sleep at like a normal time. Yeah. So in real Robin life, could I want to be in bed by nine. But in Lisbon, she we was could like stay up to like two because mm-hmm. the time changed the she first was, night. You were ready to go to like four. I was. So we go to a bar. I was really, really tired, and she was like, "Well, don't you want to drink or something to wake up?" Like she's like, "I'm gonna have water, but like you should like drink to wake up." And I was like, "I can't. Like I, I don't want to, and I'm like tired. I want to go to bed. It's midnight." Mm-hmm. So Bronwyn is sitting. We're sitting at the bar. Bronwyn's drinking Diet Coke. I was just had a cup of ice at that point. <laughs> And we're not making friends with anyone. The bartenders were like very annoyed that we were there. So then we decide that we're going to a drag show. We convince the manager to let us. It was like reservation only. He gives us a seat. The show starts. He moves us to the front. And all of a sudden, these very drunk, like United, they worked for United, employees came up to Bronwyn freaking out that she was there. I think one of them spilled a drink on you, a and they were bit, like, "Oh yeah. no, I'm so sorry." Like, and we're like, "She I didn't love relapse like because fan of the shows, and they offered to buy me a drink." And I'm yeah, like, but you obviously weren't paying attention to like uh-huh. the storylines, yeah. and yeah. they were just so excited that we were there. But they kept interrupting the drag show to try and talk to Bronwyn. So the manager got to the point where I think he was about to like kick them. It was out. like he was they had pissed. to leave or we had to leave. Yeah, so we left. <laughs> Oh my God. But it was just very, it was like awkward. And I think it was just miss, like we geographically, we were not expecting mm-hmm. any like that mm-hmm. to yeah. happen. And the fact that there were even other Americans at the drag show was, it was weird. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. is weird. It took us a long time to get there, didn't it? Yeah. 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 But yeah. And then we got there <laughs> and it actually wasn't that great of a story. But they did a good job of making that, taking that from a rapid fire to a slow burn, but that's all right. We're going to go to number four. <laughs> okay. Bronwyn, um, what do people regularly get wrong about you? That I'm stupid. That I'm vapid. And that I'm a bad mom. Hmm. That's a lot of crap to get wrong. It's horrible. I hate to hear that. Yeah. Um, Jen, what is your favorite thing about Bronwyn? Oh my god. Um, her heart. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite thing about Jen? If you give the same answer, it negates it. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing about Jen is how much she loves me for me. Hmm. It's very rare that you find someone that just accepts you for who you are. I mean, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, up, down. She just hugs me and holds me. I see that from the outside, too. And yeah, I, she's I my person. It's real. It's beautiful. <sighs> okay, so I want to circle back a little bit to talking about when you moved here, because I know around that time, I didn't know what was going on, but um, there you had a period where there was a struggle happening with in regard to your sobriety, right? I mean, there's always some sort of struggle going on, I okay. would say. Um, you know, I most of the time, and the longer I'm sober, the higher the percentage, 98% of the time it's great, mm-hmm. and I don't struggle. Um, 
But then there are really bad lows. You know, I'm obviously I'm seeing someone about this, but I've started to realize that I don't always have the ability to regulate my emotions. I have trauma triggers, deep rooted ones that are a lot of the reasons why I used to drink. And I think as you are sober longer, you start to realize this is it. What sort of what sort of steps do I need to take? For mm -hmm. me, you know, going to 12-step meetings wasn't enough. I needed a psychiatrist. I needed, you know, a tr uh, e what is it called again? EMDR. Thank you. Yeah. Um, therapy. I needed more. Yeah. And that took me a little while to get to. So I do have really low moments. She's seen them, you know, where I'm like, I'm going to drink. I give up. I'm going to drink. Now, I know if I drink again, I will die. And that's sort of what I'm saying. I'm giving up. Like, I have had those depressive lows where I don't want to exist anymore. Um, not so much that I want to kill myself, but I don't want to live anymore. Like, I'm done. Mm. I just want to not exist. And so I think I've said that to you, what, two or three times? I think more than that. Where I'm like, okay, so I'm going to drink. And she's like, when? Today? No, 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 not today. But, you know, I'm going to. Well, I always ask what the, if there's a plan. I mean, not That's like That's what I was going to say, because this particular like time, I think, because this, this was like, I mean, like, people caught it. You did a story. Well, yeah, I mean, this also happened it, like right? two weeks ago. I mean, it's, oh, okay. it's during, like, and I think it's important to be vocal about it. Yeah. I mean, Bronwyn is vocal about it, so it's not like I wouldn't share that if she wasn't, yeah. but um, we were on a plane, we were coming back from a vacation, not really a vacation, but we were coming back from a wedding and, and travel, and um, there was just an intense situation that happened for her, and when we were sitting on the plane, she was like, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm gonna drink, and if we have to go back to the house tonight, it won't be tonight. If we don't, it will be tonight. And I always ask her like what her plan is. And I think that comes from working like a harm reduction hotline um, in college. But, you know, and, and she does often have a plan. Mm -hmm. Like, she, you know, it's this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do it. And I just stay clear on the fact that, you know, she always will say when she's in these moments, well, you're going to drink with me. It'll be like, finally, we're going to, you know, have fun together. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a ton of fun together with her being sober. So it's right. not. But I always just make it clear there's never going to be a moment that we drink together ever. Um, and also that I will stand by her if she relapses as long as there is a plan to get sober again. Um, and whether that's two days or five days or whatever that is, like I'm, but I'm not going to enable ever. Right. So, and I do, yeah. I will say that when this happens, I do have people I call, like, I don't just sit there, whatever. Like I do have that toolbox. So there's one person in particular that I, that just is, is always my first go-to phone call. Mm -hmm. And you know, he can usually get me to the other side of it. Mm -hmm. So when I'm, I'm sitting in that moment, I truly do mean it. But then I'm like, okay, but I'm gonna call this person first and this person second. And normally by the third phone call, I'm feeling better, but it's almost like I have to say it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm gonna do it, you know? And I don't know why I think that's the self-sabotaging part of me. That's I wanna I wanna challenge that thought right there because I and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up is because there are so many of us that suffer in silence in the rooms of twelve step. And I think that there's so much power in what you're talking about. Because when it rises up for you, you're like, FYI, I'm gonna do this. Yeah and nobody's gonna stop me and I'll let you know when I'm, you know, whatever. But how often do we hear that people actually get vocal? I don't, I don't, the people I know are like, yeah, this was, I let this simmer in my head for a very long time until, you know, and usually I hear about somebody's relapsed and overdosed or somebody's relapsed, like it went too far, didn't tell a damn soul, you know? I think that's why I've always been so, at least I try to on social media that it's hard. If I'm making it look easy, I apologize because it's hard because I don't want anyone to think that sobriety is easy. Yeah, there's great days, there's bad days, but the, it's hard not drinking when you're an alcoholic. Yeah. It, it's it's a, every day and there are really low moments. I'm not superhuman. What I can do is have a partner I can be honest with, but I, I mean it when I say it, you know? Um, and if you have those feelings too, you're not alone and you're not failing. That's right. You know, have I had a drink in, it's been about three and a half years, knock on wood. No, but there are days, there are days where I'm like, this, this is gonna be the day because I'm done, I'm done. Mm. Like I can't, 
I cannot do this anymore. It's too hard. Mm -hmm. Like I give up. And that's, I think what it is for me when I say that's, I give up, I'm giving up. And another theme goes for me, I just hear go off in my head of like this resounding, um, theme of, uh, surrender that you're ha like almost being forced to practice. Like it pulls you to, yeah. pulls you to your knees. And it does. It does. And that's when, I mean, with her, I say this to her a lot because she likes to control things, whatever. I'm like, just if we don't know what to do, don't do anything. Just sit with it and the answer will come. Mm. And I think that for me has been very important to realize that you don't always have to have the answers right now to everything. You just sit with it and you sit in the uncomfortable mm. and um, sometimes just existing is enough. You know, like I, I'm not going to thrive today. I'm going to exist today. Bronwyn, that's such good advice, regardless of if you are recovering from life, recovering from substance, recovering from mental health, whatever, because we all experience emotional dysregulation. Yeah. And that that's like some really good advice to live by. I'm realizing that, that I have, you know, these intense moods that I didn't have the ability to handle. And I still don't. So that's what I'm working on now. Mm. These, these mood instabilities that, um, that I'm working on. So that's, that's next. And that's the thing with sobriety. It's not, oh, I'm done drinking now. Okay. It's now I have to do the work. And right when you think like, oh, I'm going to fix this. Like, well, it's like whack-a-mole with all this. Absolutely. <laughs> like, and all the different issues. That, okay. Okay. I mean, I don't think it will ever be done. No. Yeah. We're constantly figuring out how to be, and this is what, something I wanted to get to, but it's coming up now, <laughs> um, is the desire to like getting to a place where is it happiness or is it peace? For me, peace. And for how long did we think it was happiness? And is it, is it even possible that you can be all of one or all of both? Like, for me, after so many years of high highs and low lows, stability is great. I have that with her and I love it. Mm. You know, stability is it. We have moments of happiness. We have moments sure. of sadness, but peace. And, you know, I really will say moving to Nashville has made that a lot easier. It, mm -hmm. it lends itself to peace here. So the world around us is swirling right now. We're in the midst of chaos and things are very hard on us, mm -hmm. but as long as we have each other and we have ourselves and we have that foundation, I think, I think you just hold on tight. Absolutely. Jen, I want to ask you, and I know that we've talked about this before, but I'd love for you to share your history with an exposure with, um, addiction and those struggling, uh, prior to meeting Brahman. Yeah. Um, so I have two sister, well, I have three sisters that have been in recovery for different things. Um, two of them substance related. And so it's, you know, for the past, I don't know at this point, probably 10 to 12 years, it's definitely been a topic in my house. Um, I've learned a lot from the three of them about like 12 step programs and, and sort of the work that goes into, you know, I always thought, okay, people just go to AA or NA or OA. Um, and like, they've really taught me about the intentionality and the work that you have to do in order to deal with all of the other things that surrounded the addiction. But my family, I mean, they're very open about it. When I go home, if, if someone's struggling, like there's a lot of openness and no judgment about conversations about that. And then also my best friend is an addict um, who I've known during times of sobriety and relapse. And <laughs> she, you went to that meeting with her. Oh yeah. gosh, that was like a hard, yeah, she loves to tell that story. Um, right. But <laughs> there was one, there was, I was very young. I lived in West Hollywood. She was with me. She was sober. She was with me at an event that I was at for work. And I used to drink sugar-free Red Bull with vodka and she drank sugar-free Red Bull. So we, or I ordered a sugar-free Red Bull and vodka and a sugar-free Red Bull. Of course they switched the drinks and she just oh. took a huge sip of mine without thinking about it. No. 
and immediately was, you know, first comment was, I need to go to a meeting. I thought we were going to the Abbey, which is like a club. And we walk into this AA meeting and I was like, and you're hammered. Yeah, it was not great. Um, That's one of her favorite stories. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was not. I was like, did you sit through the whole meeting intoxicated? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was like, Joss, I don't think this is Abbey. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, no, we're not at the Abbey, bitch. (laughs) Where are they? Um, and yeah, she, I mean, she made sure that it wasn't a closed meeting. Thank God. But someone did comment, you know, someone smells a little bit like vodka and it's very triggering. And I'm like, looking at the floor, just pretend that it's not you. It is um, nice though. Having someone that's so familiar yeah. with it. And like mm. her sister, when I go there, we went to celebrate her birthday at her NA meeting. Oh, yeah. And it really is just for me. It's so nice. There's <laughs> We're no going to be there again this year. Yeah. There's no stigma around it. It's yeah. like, oh, you're in recovery. Yeah. Cool. My family is very much. And they don't like, drink at holidays. Like we it, never have though. It's I so nice. I grew up with drinking. Your mom's boyfriend is in recovery. Yeah. We bond over that. Like there's so much openness around it, and I love that. In my yeah. family, we don't talk about it very often. Really? We, oh, my family's too open though yeah. about everything. I love. So. I love that. My <laughs> my aunt is in recovery, and when she got sober, she went to Betty Ford, and we never spoke about it. Mm. all the alcohol was removed from our house and no one ever talked about it again. Mm-hmm. And that's what I grew up with as alcoholism. Is I think that's very sh- reflective of... We don't talk about it. Yeah. Even now, America. if I bring it up to my grandma, it's like, shh, that's not nice. Don't talk about it. We're very... That I mean, mentality of don't talk about things that aren't pleasant. Your family's like, what... I can't do the accent. I don't want to butcher it, but like, just don't. What? Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I mean, the thing is, my <laughs> parents. Where, where are your? Where's your family from? So I'm from Long New York. And my oh dad right. Is, oh okay. Like so they all talk yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah, right. and it's, it's like, like Tony Soprano. I bit. love it. They yell. They scream. They're open. Like no, but I love my it. my dad is so proud of the. Fa- I mean, I mean, he's not proud of the fact that my. Um, he's very. You know, he feels horrible that my sisters had to go through having a substance mm-hmm. abuse problem. But he is so proud of the fact that they're in recovery and he, there's no shame. It's only pride in the fact that they are where they are right now. And I think that that's one thing that I will say about my parents is that they've instilled like a sense of owning your trauma and owning whatever you have going on and being proud of the obstacles that they've created, not ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. So I really love that aspect. And I think that because they raised me that way, it has shaped the way that I interact with addiction and also with how I interact with Bronwyn around just, you know, I had a conversation with her older daughter or no, I'm sorry, with her with her eight-year-old yesterday, we were at the library and there was a book ab- made for kids about addiction, about alcoholism, hmm. about having like an alcoholic parent. Yeah. And so Koa looked at me and said, what is this book about? Because, you know, alcoholism is a very long word. Right. So I said, oh, that's about someone that has a drinking problem like, like your mom has. And she was like, we just had a whole conversation about it um, in the middle of the library. Like there was no shame or discomfort or you know, her feeling weird that someone else would hear. And, and I love that, like, that her kids are growing up in a, in a similar way that I did, but in a different way around it than she's experienced. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I didn't even tell you that uh-uh. story. Yeah. That's, it that's was great that they had that book. That is really cool. Yeah. That is really beautiful. So, um, Jen, you're not so, you're, a, you're a normie. Right. as we like oh, to refer yes. to. Yes. And um, what was it like? Uh, was Brownwin the first person you've dated that has been in recovery? From alcohol, yes. Okay. Um, my, I, I've been with other people that were in recovery for like other substances, but, mm-hmm. but she's the first person I've been with that is sober and that is in recovery from alcohol. Mm. Okay. And so... Gosh, you, you you found each other and clicked pretty quick, if I remember correctly, which was awesome. I love yes. it. I mean, and it's just like really quick. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you? When do you think you knew? Because I feel like you both know now. Like you're you're each other's one. I've oh, heard I you say. I thought you meant it. that I wasn't sober. No. I'm like I think I knew right away. <laughs> 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 I think it was not a long discovery process. No. Uh, Puerto Rico. That's not no when for me. You knew. No, th- when I knew that I was like falling in love with you was on the rooftop of the hide. 
Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I thought it was like much later. No. I mean, I told you I loved you probably a little bit later, but that's yeah. that that dinner after whatever we were doing at that rooftop of the hide. Aw. So how far in was that? <laughs> like it was our two third days. date. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> and then for you, it was... Marmalade. Marmalade. So yeah. a little bit later, which our third date was 10 days long. Well, we were watching that this documentary called like the longest third date ever about a couple that was trapped for two and a half months, like during COVID. Oh, um, and she and I were both laughing and we're like, well, they're clearly not lesbians because that's like totally <laughs> normal. That's not like a COVID thing. Right. <laughs> right. That's reality. Yeah. I think I knew like within three weeks of us really hanging out. Yeah. That. I knew, like, our second date, we got really lost on a hike. God, even our first date when you were talking. Uh, 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 I don't know. She's just... <laughs> mean? No. <laughs> when I would talk to you on the phone, her Instagram profile, she always looks like she's in a bad mood. So I thought she was going to be mean. And then you, I listened to her, her voice. We started talking, and it was so soft, and she's so sweet. And not at all what I was expecting. Mm. Um, because the, the outer gin that everyone meets is this very sarcastic, I don't like people, like I'm always in a well, bad Well, that's mood. not an act. I genuinely don't really like people. <laughs> but, the, but the you that I know is so sweet and caring. I mean, you are both, like most people annoy you, and I now do. But I am compassionate but, to them. <laughs> but when we first met, you've just, I, I didn't annoy you yet. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. If you or a loved one are struggling with trauma, addiction, or mental health, we are ready to answer your questions and help you take that next step. Call our admission center at 888-648-4098 or visit us online at www.promises.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. No. <laughs> yeah, I think that we have actually talked about this a lot. Um, I think that people have perceptions of me like at work or in my personal life. And then when they get to know me, I'm a completely different person. Mm -hmm. And I think that it can create like a false intimacy because it's this assumption like, oh, she's only being this way with me. And what I love about Bronwyn is that she is one of the only people I've ever met that just understood almost immediately that it wasn't it wasn't like, oh, she's just being this way with me, but her true nature is X, Y, Z. Like, she just got me from the beginning. And I really, like, I'm, it, I haven't really met anyone that, besides Jocelyn, who I'm not in a romantic relationship <laughs> with, who really just, like, you know, understood things about me right away. And you did. Mm, that's beautiful. Well, besides getting each other, um, I, I, we were talking about this before the show, and like, in true, <laughs> I'm gonna get backlash for saying this, but in true alcoholic fashion, right? Like, if one's good, seven's great. Right. Seven kids. <laughs> right. Everyone's like, oh my god, that's a lot. That's why I'm in recovery. Yeah. I mean, she's I, made some choices. I mean, right. <laughs> you know, that's if one is good, seven's better. Right. Um, but that's how it is with everything in my life. Yes. That's why we're in recovery. It's not just, oh, I drank too much. No, I did everything too much. Mm. You know, moderation is not my thing. I'm learning for it to be now. Mm -hmm. I'm ha I mean, not with candies. I know that's what you're thinking. Not No, I was laughing at, <laughs> I'm remembering that someone DM me right when we first met and was like, you're dating a, ch a child hoarder. And we I know, immediately- I, call, we call I have it, never heard that I be hoarding. I went to like, I went to- you know, say I we, my friend Kate Casey. She has a podcast. She does a, a lot of yeah. stuff. They were right. We call it baby hoarding. She has five kids. We call ourselves baby hoarders. I think it's funny. Other people didn't, but no, I, I definitely. No, you're definitely a child hoarder. Yeah. I think I might change your like professional description in my phone to book child to, hoarder. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I wanted to fight with them, and then I was like, no, you know what? They're actually, actually right. right. Yeah. Like if you had seven dogs, I would be like, something is probably many. going on with their mental health. That's right. <laughs> you have a beautiful family, and I think that um, from what I've seen, it's like it's inspiring. I love watching how much you share with um, your followers, how being a mother is for you now, how it's been making choices as a sober mom. Um, 
figuring out your um, sexuality, you know, all of those things um, have been such a journey for you and you brought people along with you through that. And not only that, but I think, Jen, it's been really cool to see your, I mean, like what you can, what you all have chosen to share publicly. you with the kids and just being, you know, like, cause you didn't just get a lovely partner, you know, you got, you got a whole family, like a big family. And, um, yeah. yeah. And it's hard sometimes, but like, it's like yesterday I took the girls to get their first library card, which I have in my wallet. Um, and there are so many of these moments that I get to have with them that make all of the challenges that every parent would understand, like what the hard thing about having four young kids at home are, and 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 now like the older kids as well. Um, but it really is offset by the the things that I get to experience through their eyes that I would I would just never have that connection with another person mm-hmm. if it wasn't for them. And we had to really balance that. You know, for, I remember that hike we were on. You're like. I feel like I just joined your life. Yeah. And that was something we had to work on for a little bit because I I had a moment of, you're right. I I have sort of treated it like this is my life and you're going to be a part of it. And she's like, I need it to be our life. And so that's a constant. With the the kids. No, with the kids. But like not, I'm joining this life that you and Sean had, you know, as an an add-on. I want to create a life with you. And that is a constant, you know, conversation we're always having. How to make more space? How how do you want to parent? Because I parented one way for so long, and now it's letting her have space to do it her mm-hmm. way. Which I'm going to say, 100% of the time, she nails it. I'm like, you are doing a better job than I did because I've kind of got stuck in my ways. She comes in and says, "This is where we need help." And at first, I was like, "No, no, no." I'm like, "Okay, yeah." She's like, "Allow me, allow me in." Um, and that's been really nice to watch her sort of step into that role as a parent. Mm. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, she asked, Bronwyn and I were talking the other day cause Sean is seeing someone, um, and the kids love her. Oh, like, yeah. They love her. Um, and it was immediate like that they loved her. And so Bronwyn said, you know, obviously there's like there's always that tension when you're a parent and then your ex gets a new partner and like figuring that out. But she was asking as like a step parent, are you insecure or jealous that, you know, they're going to really love this woman? And my view on it is if they can have four adults in their life that love them, I know that my relationship with them is never going anywhere, whether we're together or not, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a relationship with them. Um, and I think that her asking me that question was the first time that I really like did some introspection about the facts, like how secure I actually am in my relationship with them. Um, and I, I hope that they love this woman, you know, and that she can give them things that I can't. Yeah. Um, and that we can sort of all complement each other's weaknesses with things that we bring to the table. But I think when her asking me that question was the first time that I really, thought about, you know, no, I'm not, you know, if it was a friend, when my friends get new friends, I go through like this weird jealous period where no. I hate their new friend. Like every single time my friend that will come to me, do that. Yeah, yeah. Like, Oh, this is my new friend. They're amazing. I love them. And I will automatically like hate them for, for no usually years. Like, Whoa. Oh, it takes me a long time. Yeah. And then I finally will warm up and say, oh, yeah, this is a great person. Usually when they're not friends anymore. But um, with the kids, like it was the Look, first time. OK, so what's your toxic trait? No, just kidding. Yeah. yeah. That. <laughs> but yeah, I don't have that with the kids. And I, it was like that's it's bizarre to me that that's the relationship. I don't. There's yeah. no jealousy. I just want them to have as much happiness in their life as they can. That's beautiful. I think very selfless, I think. But yeah, yeah. horrible friends. So don't be friends with me. <laughs> I don't know about that, but that's, that's pretty funny. Doesn't I can find some humor in it. <laughs> well, talking about uh, our horrible moments and being toxic, I want to jump back to, let's talk about the Real Housewives for a second. Because I mean, it wouldn't be an interview with y'all without talking about, with, without flushing some questions out of Real Housewives. So, um, you know, I have a lot of people on here that have a platform um, and a lot of times I have people that I don't know and lots of people that are friends with me ask me afterwards, how was so-and-so? Like, what are they really like when the <laughs> right. camera turns off? Whatever. And 
at this point, everybody knows that, that, you know, you and I have a relationship, uh, you know, a friendship and, um, you've been on here a few times. And so I've had so many questions like what is Bronwyn really like? Because so many people love to, well, I think the media conditioned people to have this specific perception of you. Um, Based on what happened in... Well, it's not just the media. You know, when you're a character on one of these shows, you are portrayed a certain way. And you have no control over that. You Mm -hmm. just sort of have to let it go. And you just have to believe that, you know, it's two weeks and people move on. But you're created into something. So, you know, when I was on the show, I was either drunk or getting sober and detoxing. Um, But you only saw a really small part of it. They very rarely showed me with my kids. So then it's like, oh, you're never with your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Or... I remember one funny scene where you see my nanny putting the kids to bed and people are like, how, you don't even put your own kids to bed in my head. I'm like, you do realize there's 12 people in my home. Like if there's a can- if they're, if they're filming this, my kids are two hours from bed. <laughs> like yeah. real reality TV isn't real. And a lot of people forget that sometimes they think that they know you. Mm-hmm. She couldn't stand me as a character on the show. I mean, couldn't stand me. And in real life, I'm nothing like that. I think, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that if it was like, what's she like? I'm exactly like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a little frenetic. I'm all over the place. I have a big mouth. I say everything. I think the biggest difference is that you're not so like, like you don't actually care about money or handbags or any of this stuff. No. Like you really like, you're at, you're not chill. You're the opposite of chill, but you're um, you're very laid. Like you don't care about keeping up appearances, and you don't care how much someone else has or doesn't have. Yeah, um, at all. Like jewelry, handbags, shoes. At all. I, none of that has ever. And even when I was on the show, I never cared. You let about Hazel that stuff. wear like a diamond tiara. Like you don't care about that stuff at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I am at heart, you know, a beach girl that loves to wear flip flops. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love about living in Tennessee is I don't have to get dressed if I don't want to. Yeah. I, I got dressed because we're going to dinner after this, but I love the way I look without makeup on. I love the way I look without hair extensions. I love the way you look without hair extensions. <laughs> so that that's the real I love me. your new hair. You know, like I love talking to women. I love getting yeah. to know people. I love having real conversations. Uh, I don't like fighting with women. Right. I really don't. Well, and so, you know, my... My answer to that too was whether it be correct or not. I like <clears throat> has been, you know, you the the public was watching, like you said, snapshots of what was going on. But you were either drunk, you were either drunk, detoxing, whatever, right? And you were in the middle of, like, you weren't living out like what you are now, like a life of a like you are much more stable now, like recovery yeah. wise than I, you were then. For me, the housewives and, came at a time of change. I had had my last baby. I hadn't drank in seven years. I started drinking again. I was coming to terms with my sexuality and I was looking for something when I got the phone call. Have you heard about the show? In retrospect, it was probably the worst time for me to go on a a television show, but I really thought it would be fun. I didn't understand the backlash of social media. I, Mm. I didn't know it existed. So I just thought, oh, I'll hang out. I thought it was real. I thought they followed your real life. I didn't realize that they created scenes and gave you, you know, a script, uh, a call sheet the week before. I didn't know it was fake. So, you know, there was times where like Tamara would be yelling at me. The cameras would go down. She'd be like, "Are you okay, honey?" You know, like I didn't realize that you were playing a character based on yourself. Mm. Else, I would have done it different. I was just being myself for better or worse, just like I do in real life. That isn't how you be a good, how you're a good housewife. I'm yeah. not a good housewife. I wasn't a good housewife, but I'm a great Bronwyn. You are a great Bronwyn. <laughs> yeah. I will say though, I think, you know, and not to whatever, Bethany Frankel is sort of spearheading this thing, this reality reckoning for lack of a better word. And I think, I think a lot of stories are gonna come out and it's gonna really make people rethink how they watch these shows and how they comment on them because we sign things that we can't really talk about. There are things on that I can't legally talk about. Mm. Um, and everyone has that. I think if there is something that happens where people can tell their stories, people will be shocked at some of the stuff that happens. That some of the stuff that happened to me that you I've told you off yeah. camera. And it's like, that's insane. I can't believe that. And so I think if this this happens, people are gonna definitely watch reality TV and feel a little bit like, ooh, maybe this isn't okay. Yeah. 
Well, and hopefully it'll change. I mean, like, if reality TV has a future that can be healthier, maybe it'll force it. To, I, don't I don't think know. we watch it to I be healthy. I don't think reality TV could be healthier because I, I knew I, you were going to say that. Yeah, I think that, I think like, we watch it's it in nature. It's it's you right. don't want to see like she said the other like I when we first moved here. She was like, oh, I want to pitch a show where these women are like business owners and they help each other and everyone is just, and no one will watch that because right. you don't want to watch reality TV to see the best in humanity. You want to watch to see the worst so that you feel better about your own decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. no one's watching reality TV to feel good when they turn the TV off. They're watching it so that they can look at their life and say, wow, at least I'm superior to this one <laughs> person. Um, so I don't think it... I think toxicity is is so baked into the formula of reality TV that it it couldn't be anything other than mm. than what it is. Interesting. I see where I see your point. I also feel like I like it personally. There's parts about it that I like that are like I mean. You, oh, I you love were reality talking, TV. <laughs> you were talking about like the Morgan, um, uh, the, like the, the, there's certain parts of the stories that like it's like well I want to oh, find out. I want to find out what. I love reality TV. I am a yeah. toxic person. <laughs> I like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. When I am having a bad day, that is my like. Now I'm happy. But do you um, do you want to like? Are you really wanting to see like? Well, what, what you were I just will talking say about? is that in seasons, aka prior to Lisa Renna joining the cast, uh -huh. in seasons where there wasn't a lot of drama, I would find myself thinking, "Oh, I really hope that they like." are better next season. This wasn't, you know, as much fun as it is to watch people with a lot of money, like go to yoga and then eat a, like nothing or like have a smoothie. Right. Like that's awesome. But that just makes me feel bad about my life. Cause I'm like, mm. well, I can't afford smoothies. Right. <laughs> I have seven kids. So like there is, there is like a weird desire to see that drama. Mm. Otherwise, you're just watching people like drive around Beverly Hills in like nicer cars. Good point. Yeah. Um, well, in regard to that and the drama, on a more serious note from the heart, there has been some stuff that go, that's gone down. Um, what was it, like a month ago? I don't remember, mm -hmm. but in recent time. And I know you publicly commented on it, so this isn't the first time, but I just want, I mean, like, I feel like I, I do want to ask you about uh, Shannon. Like, have are y'all at all close? Have you talked to her? What's no. your... No. So, some, no. I did reach out. I sent her a text message. I still have, you know, her number in my phone, but she made an accusation at the reunion that I later found out was untrue, and that sort of put a wedge in us ever being close. It was a pretty bad one. Mm. Um, and when I found out from the person that it wasn't true, I was like, wow, I can't believe she did that. But she threw that out there when we were talking about her drinking issues, because this has been an ongoing thing with her. Right. Um, I will say that I hope it was a wake up call. Mm. I don't think it was. Um, Sh Shannon is a very good person with a very good heart. That I know, 100%, she loves deeply, she's a good person. She will find her way. Um, I think there's a lot of people that she knows that know a lot of things that are really hoping for the best for her right now. Yeah. Well, and like the like the rest of us, I mean, like we had to get where we needed to go before we yeah. could and accept I, the reality. You know, afterwards, <laughs> I was like, you know, you can sort of see how people are going based on the choices they make. And I've hit bottom and done nothing about it. I've yeah. also, my bottom, when I got sober, a lot of people wouldn't consider it a bottom. Like we all get to that moment when we are ready. I couldn't have gotten there a minute sooner. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. Really, really true. Um, well, speaking about getting to bottoms and like all of the things about drama and how we change through sobriety and what's gone on with you since the show, we were talking a little bit earlier about how um, you've changed um, what you what you stand for publicly, what you've what you've been open about. Things, a lot of things in life have changed for you since the show. Um, what your audience and how you interact with them. What was it then and what is it now? 
I remember doing a tutorial on how to blow dry my hair. You know what I mean? Like that's how vapid I was. Mm-hmm. Um, for me. I mean, you do blow dry your hair really well. Thank you. Um, but so it was fake. I was fake. I was trying to be an, a person that I really wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I was keeping up with the Joneses for lack of a better word. I wanted to be on red carpets. I wanted to be no, whatever. I wanted to, like it wasn't real and it's not who I am. I was looking for something to fill that void which we, a lot of us fill it with right. alcohol or whatever, but that void It's easy for to me, think fame would do that too. Oh, fame is way more addictive than mm. any substance I've ever done, including that stupid vape. So <laughs> that for sure, fame is addictive and you think it's gonna fix it. And that's why people keep coming back mm. to these reality shows, even when they're horrible. It's like, I need that next fix. Um, but none of it filled it. And I think when I first was fired, I didn't know what to do or who I was. Like, where, who is my identity now? I had wrapped all of my, uh, you know, all of my me into this. Now, now, who am I? And it took me a long time to figure out that I am an introvert. I like to be in bed and watch TV. My favorite feeling in the world is my legs cuddled up around her in the middle of the night. Well, you didn't know that yet. I mean, no, but I'm just like, I'm, I love living in a small town outside Nashville. Yeah. Uh, I love coffee as the sun comes up. I love quiet, I love simple, I love traveling. And I think for me, the biggest difference I've said with traveling is I don't go to be seen, I go to see things. Mm. Um, I love the anonymity of living here. I love it. No one no, watched the show where I live. No one has heard of me outside of being her partner and these kids' moms. Um, and I thought I was gonna miss that little taste of fame and I don't. I did for a long time. Yeah but I don't anymore because that void, that hole right. is filled now with things that are real. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Um, I think that that is something that deep down on the inside, we're all seeking whether we've been famous before and I like whatever, throw that to the side, you know, on a path to self-discovery, uh, finding our authentic self, um, getting to recovery, going through the years, like ultimately I think that take the substance away. I just want to learn how to live in my skin and be happy when it's time to be happy, feel the feelings I'm supposed to feel. But like you said, no peace and no peace regularly as, as a thing. So within that, within the, that, um, realm of speaking, what has it been like, um, redefining fun for you? When I first got sober, I tried to hold on to what fun was. It was going out and partying, whatever. I tried to do it sober though. And then over time I realized that I, that's not, I don't want to be at a club. I want to not be at a club. (laughs) Um, I am already looking forward to going home tonight and watching 90 day fiance. That is fun. You have to rewatch. And I that know. messy lady, what's her name? Oh, she's Jasmine. so good, Jasmine. Jasmine. Oh, bless Love Jasmine's you. heart. She um, keeps trying to be friends with her, but she's not really. Yeah, she she won't she won't let me be friends with her. Come on, Jasmine. Um, Je- call me. <laughs> Maybe um, not after this episode. No, she, I love her. I, but fun <laughs> for me is so much smaller. Yeah. Um, it turns out everything I was doing to have fun, I actually don't enjoy. I don't like shopping. I don't like being around crowds. I love going for hikes with you. I love finding new places. I love traveling. We love to travel. I love road trips. I, I mean, I love little simple things. I, I love life mm-hmm. in its most basic way. Yeah. I love it. I love when my kids get off the school bus and, I, and they run and give me a hug. I love tucking them in at night. Um, I don't know, it's just so much smaller. I think in some ways when you get sober, your life gets bigger in a lot of ways because you don't have to manage your drinking. Right. But it also gets smaller and that's okay. I've also learned, I was with another mom and she was talking about how busy, busy, busy. And she's like, you know, aren't you busy? I'm like, no, I chose not to be. I don't want to be busy. I don't want to fill my days up. I want to do nothing. Mm. I want to say no. And I do now. I don't want to do that thing. I'm not going to do it. 
Um, and I don't have guilt. If I cancel plans, she's learned this about me. I don't feel guilty. I don't want to go yeah, out tonight. Immediately well, because I go for her. And but usually I don't want to go in the first place either. I like, <laughs> I have no guilt living life on anyone else's terms now, but my own. And that suits me, you know, yeah. like I don't feel guilty anymore. Yeah. That's ugh. That in and of itself, I think, is a journey that so many of us, um, it takes a while to get there. So any advice on getting to a place where what, what got getting to that place of letting go of? I found that just not checking my emails or answering phone calls really helped. Well, it's, it must be nice to be able to do that. Well, she can't because I no, check them for her no, and then get um, very stressed out about all the messages she missed. No, I just, I found that it's like, you know, there's so many things that society tells us we have to do. Yeah. And we actually don't have to do any of them. Mm. That's it. <coughs> Excuse me. Isn't it funny when we think about it? Like all the rules of society are really just a social construct that people made up. Like none of it's actually something. None of it's we, real. I, you know, for me, coming out was the first part of that. You know, I'm married, I have seven kids, I'm doing the white picket fence, I'm at the country club, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing, I'm miserable. And it's like, I'm done. I'm done doing everything you guys told me I was supposed to do. Yeah. So I think when you're queer, you're already kind of coming at it from a dis different perspective of, okay, well screw that playbook, that's not working for me. So now I'm queer, now I'm traveling. People are like, well don't you miss your kids? Mm, not really. You know, when I'm with them, I love being with them. When I'm not with them, they're with their dad, he's a great dad. No, and you're gonna try to mom shame me, but it's not gonna work because I know they're great yeah. and I'm great and that's great. So I think when you just stop following the rules that aren't even real, then uh, it's so much easier, it's yeah. so much easier. I can't agree with you more. Um, we're about out of time and I just wanna know what Kind of from both of you, but both of your answers would be because I, I think that it takes, um, it's not just like the answer to this solution isn't just what we identify as the recovering people as the need. It's our support system as well. So I'd like to know from each of you, like what, what do you see as being, um, something that's really important around how, what, what is next? right now that we can do um, as a society to address supporting recovery and I, battling stigma? I think the first thing we need to do is start dismantling the mommy wine culture. We need mm. to get rid of all the, the you know, it's wine o'clock, you wine, so I wine. I think we have to stop thinking that alcohol. TJ Maxx is going to have to get. Yeah, Home uh, Goods and TJ Maxx are going to go out of business. Um, but for real, I think we really need to stop saying that it's, you know, being a functional alcoholic is okay. It's not. Yeah. You shouldn't have to have a glass of wine every day. Um, I think we need to become more honest about mental health issues because most of us drink for other reasons. You know, we have co-current um, disorders that sort of all play in together. Mm -hmm. You know, hi, I have... This, I, you know, if you're bipolar, if you're borderline, like stop weaponizing mental health Yeah. for number one. Stop weaponizing mental health. Don't glorify the mommy wine culture. And in a queer community, let's sort of find other venues and places that aren't just the gay bars. Mm, you know, yes. how can we kind of come together to find healthy ways to support each other? Yep. That's good. Um, on the partner side, I would just say, you know, to really work to withhold judgment. Um, and also, I, I with the stigma piece, I think obviously a lot of that stems from other people judging, you know, oh, if this person is an addict, then I don't want them in my life because these are the, you know, ideas that I have about addicts. But I think that a lot of a lot of people with addiction relapse and feel so judged by the people in their lives that mm -hmm. they don't talk about it. They don't mm -hmm. tell anyone. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that part of being like a supportive partner is just making sure that it's known that you're not going to leave if a relapse happens and that you want you want to be there in a in a non judgmental space to support that person through whatever yeah. you know their recovery looks like. 
But yeah, the stigma piece is hard because I think that we're so conditioned, you know, don't do drugs, don't drink, and if you do, something is wrong with you. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that, like, that re-education around not viewing addicts in such a negative way probably is gonna stem from some of that early education that we get in fourth or fifth grade, where it's like, don't do drugs, or you're gonna end up like this person. You're right. gonna end up homeless. Yeah. This is they're, your brain. They're everything your brain you don't wanna be. And yeah. it's, you know, this is this unsuccessful person, and that's who you're gonna become if you drink or do drugs. Yes. And I think we take that with us as adults and look at people with addiction as unsuccessful and they failed in some way. Right. And I think that we need to turn that on their, on its head. Some of the strongest people I know are addicts because they, they had to figure out how to function in a society where you can't sustainably be an addict usually. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of it just comes through reframing for kids and then hopefully for adults. like. It's not this reality that you need to run away from or people that have addiction are not failures. Mm. And oftentimes they're stronger than people that don't have addiction problems and, and they've had to overcome more and find success in spite of challenges that we don't have to deal with. Yeah. So. That's a, a resounding second and amen to that. I like that was such a great comprehensive answer, both of them. Um, but thank you. Thank you both so much for being here today. This was so much fun. I always have a blast with the two of you. And um, in front of the camera, this is our first time doing it like all together. Like, well, that's what I said when you were asking, like, come in the studio. Like, goes, you have to put on pants. Just come on. Just do the Zoom, Patrick. Come on. Wait, why are we wearing pants? <laughs> I always wear pants. Just for so Bronwyn's like, I'm going to wear as little as I I can on the pants. Um, just, just did. The, I did. Nailed it. Well, I have that last of that vacation tan, so I wanted to show it off before winter comes. I would comes. too. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Well, thank you both again. This has been lovely and um, such a great episode. I, I appreciate you both so much. And um, yeah, this is great. Thank you. Yep. With that, I'm going to close out and remind everyone that it is never too late to start loving yourself, and you're only ever one decision away from a completely different life. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. If you or a loved one are struggling with trauma, addiction, or mental health, we are ready to answer your questions and help you take that next step. Call our admission center at 888-648-4098 or visit us online at www.promises.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help.